2: Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, kids of all ages, to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, sitting in for Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I'm here today with none other than Chuck Nice. Hey, Bill. And we are going to have cosmic queries.
1: Yes, we are.
2: Questions from the cosmos submitted by
1: you to Chuck and Chuck, you not only have the questions, you have what they want to look like.: That's right, I do what they want to look like, because these are their avatars from Facebook and uh, Twitter and what have you. And we have uh, questions from all over the Internet, wherever we uh, find a home. And um, uh, before, before you go any further, go ahead I just want to point out that we are excited. To have
2: GE as a partner for this inaugural video, Cosmic Queries, head over to their YouTube page to check out videos of how they are bringing imagination to life. I'm talking about
1: www.youtube.com/slash GE. Yes. <laughs> we have a query. <clears throat> yes, we do. Let's jump right into this and go to Justin Connors, who's uh, coming to us via Facebook. And Justin says this: since Mars core cooled off much faster than Earth because of its higher surface area, wouldn't it have had a much earlier start than that of Earth? That is to say, how much sooner could Mars have been habitable than Earth? Also, what kind of period of time could Mars have had to develop and sustain life? And could you compare that to to earth. First of all, this is a fabulous question. It is a great question. And let me say uh, he worded
2: it as best as he could, but it's that it's not just that Mars has uh, it's not that Mars has more surface area. It has more surface area relative to its mass. It's gotcha. a smaller thing. It has about, about as much surface area as the land of the earth, the dry land of the earth. Okay. And so the number that I s- hear people work with quite a bit for Mars is 4 billion years ago. It would have cooled off enough to have liquid water running around on Mars. Okay, So that would be, pick a number, a billion or half a billion years before the Earth. So maybe it is just not, it's not crazy, but it's extraordinary to say. That life started on Mars. Hmm. Mars was hit with an impactor about three billion years ago. Stuff got tossed off into space woo, 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 woo. through homin orbits—a little mathematical, fabulous thing. Uh, these rocks with living things in them landed on Earth, and cool. you and I are descendants from from those Martians. particular microbes. So we are really Martians. It could be possible. It could be. But I'll well, tell you it. what. Tell you what it is. Okay. It is worth finding out. It is worth mounting a human mission to Mars Mm -hmm. to go look for signs of water and life. If we were to discover evidence of life on Mars on that other world, Mm -hmm. it would utterly change this one. In the same way astronomy has humbled us through the ages. Right. We found out that we go around the sun, not the other way around. Right. We find out that planets are... If I made a dime a dozen, maybe even cheaper than that. Maybe. And so we are no big deal. Our star is no, our sun is no big deal star wise. And maybe life happens all the time and be
1: worth knowing. As they say, your world is getting smaller and smaller and you didn't even know it. Uh, I didn't
2: write this joke. It's a good one.
1: Go ahead. It may be a small world, but
2: I wouldn't want to have to paint it. (laughs)
1: So, uh, okay, that's really actually a great question and uh, pretty fascinating stuff. Let me ask you about the Mars rover, though, as an addendum to this question. The Curiosity rover. The Curiosity rover. Because there's Opportunity Spirit and Sojourner.
2: But right now we've got uh, Opportunity running and Curiosity Curiosity. take it.
1: Okay. So have they been able uh, to determine whether or not there's been any – not life, of course, but – uh, rivers, streams, yeah. things of that nature. What well, place used to be very wet. Okay. And
2: uh, the Curiosity rover uh, landed in essentially a stream bed. That's It's gotcha. crazy. You see these rocks embedded in what was ancient mud that right. solidified into rock, and uh, and then Opportunity stumbled or rolled up to a layer of gypsum. This is the rock that looks that you make wallboard out of. Right. And it is a mineral that only shows up when things are really wet. Like clays, mm-hmm. and so geologists, you know, they just can't get enough. They're of this going stuff. crazy They're over going Out there. of their minds. Oh. But what we want to do is go to some place, if I may, even more interesting. But to get to such an interesting place, you have to be able to land more accurately. The places we land, these rovers are wide open spaces, right, so that course. we can
1: not crash very much. Right. Yeah, because those are some expensive stuff. With
2: let me tell you something, okay. Opportunity, curiosity together, yeah, about $3.5 billion. Right. Spirit. They're not even locked. <laughs> okay, anybody could just walk up to those rovers. It's weird. You think we somebody's the up key, there with the The club keys are or, in them.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. just sitting there with yeah, the keys. Yes. They're, they're virtually bait cars, is <laughs> yeah, what they are. That's what I'm saying. They're like virtually bait cars. Surprised the wheels are still on them after all this time. <laughs> all right, let's move on. <laughs> I'm doing Doug McKenzie. Doug. And and Doug wants to know this. I understand Doppler effect with sound. But give light speed properties. How does it catch up or pull away from itself to create red and blue ships? Oh, it's fabulous. So here's the cool thing. Another good question? It's a
2: fabulous question. This is the great thing to grasp about the Doppler effect. And by the way, full disclosure, my brother still dreams of starting a band called Christian Doppler and the effects. (laughs) But his first name's not Christian, so oh well.
1: Anyway, that aside, it's like Hootie and a Blowfish. Yes, that's right. Uh, Darius Rucker is actually Hootie. So tell your brother he could do that. Yeah, he's. It's totally fine. It is crazy. Okay, with this said, here's the thing to grasp: is the
2: frequency is what changes, not the speed. Ah. So it's a, it's a fabulous, subtle thing. When we do experiments on light to observe waves, we observe waves. Right. And when, uh, if you can show or accept that sound travels in waves, then you can, uh, by perfect analogy, you have light travel in waves and get the right answer. So as an object like a star moves away from us at extraordinary speeds, uh, dozens and hundreds of kilometers a second, it stretches the waves of light. And so they go to lower frequencies. And if you have trouble remembering this, I strongly encourage you just to do a little Latin. Ultra means beyond. Ultraviolet is beyond violet. Infra means below. Infra is below red. So the red is the longer wavelength, and blue and violet are the shorter wavelengths. Okay. So when you go faster and faster away, your wavelength is stretched out. The speed of light's the same. The wavelength is stretched out,
1: and so the color, as we perceive it, the color changes. Fabulous question! That is really fantastic. So that's, I suppose, that's where we get well, Ultraman. That's right, Ultraman Ultraman was beyond man. If the
2: blinking light stops, that's right. I remind you, Ultraman may never rise again. (laughs) Hayata and the Science Patrol, Chuck and I will be back right after this. (laughs) Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye, guest hosting for our beloved Neil deGrasse Tyson. I am here with Chuck Nice. That's right. And you know what's cool, Chuck? What? Slow mo. Even cooler, super slow-mo. Head over to GE's YouTube channel and get a look at what GE's up to with their super hydrophobic materials and watch what it looks like when a T-1000 gets built. That's right, www.youtube.com slash GE. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. With that said, before the break... Chuck and I got off on a little Ultraman tangent. Yes. Ultraman, for those of you unfamiliar, <laughs> it's a Japanese superhero. Yes, he is. And that he was Japanese was a big part of it. Yes, it was. Because he was fluent in karate. He was a giant guy. He was a giant guy. He was from, the science, he was from the science patrol. He was from the science patrol. Hayata was his civilian name, like our Clark Kent. Correct. Takes out his beta capsule. Correct. He would become Ultraman. And for some reason, Ultraman had a light that flashed on his chest.
1: And uh, it was pretty, every week, Chuck, there's a monster. Every week there was a monster. and just I, shows came you, from somewhere. From, from, from the from bottom of the sea, sea yes. somewhere, a monster Mountains. would appear. Yes. And Ultraman had to be called. It's very stressful. Yeah. And it
2: shows you uh, <laughs> uh, something about our deepest fears, right. that the unknown and monsters are trouble. And I got to think – it's related
1: to the uh, Japanese island's uh, tendency to have earthquakes. I that, thought it was the fact that we dropped a bomb on them that was uh, 100 million megatons.
2: Well, it was about 30, 30 kilotons. 30 <laughs> yeah. kilotons. And
1: so I think this
2: the monster thing goes back in Japanese culture way before Oh, uh, way, way before it, way before us. And okay. uh, can I name the artist you dropped a bomb on me? Was it, um, you dropped a bomb on me and then you'd hear the bombing? Whew. Um, I want to say cool in the gang. No, no, yeah. no. Oh we have my work to do. We've got work to do. It's on the tip yeah, yeah. of my tongue. Yeah. Gap band. Gap band. You dropped a bomb on me. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. With that, another question. <laughs> a cosmic query, actually. Oh, man. And just great. think what it was like. Uh, conducting warfare without aircraft Now we can't imagine it And no, the whole can. world, as of this broadcast The whole world is fascinated With whatever became of Malaysia Flight 370 Absolutely Our fascination with flying is deep within us And space flight is perhaps the ultimate expression
1: of flying I would agree All right, let's, uh, let's uh, take one from Saeed uh, Who wants to know this All right Saeed. Saeed. Uh, and his rest, last name is Roshan. Saeed Roshan wants to know this. Will the Earth ever increase or decrease in its size over life? Over its life. Over its life, not our I, well, life. Well,
2: I got to think, yeah. Now, geologists, I'm sure, have pondered this question deeply. It's a question of ti- ti- timing. Time. timing. <laughs> <laughs> Will the sun expand and heat the Earth... Before the earth has a chance to cool off See when you cool the metal of the inside of the earth Your nickel, your iron, your uh, molten earth core Right Are you going to uh, You're going to shrink But will the sun uh, come out here and, hook, and cook things up Before that happens I think the sun's going to beat us As far as uh, cooling the earth off I wouldn't worry about it And let me remind you One of the tremendous insights uh, Into the nature of geology The nature of our place in space People wondered, quite reasonably, how could you have evolution happen over three billion years? How could the Earth stay hot as it seems to have uh, all this time? And you can tell the Earth's hot inside when you have a volcano. Absolutely. Which we have
1: now and then. That and the way Venus looks at us lets us know we're hot. I'm sorry.
2: Go uh, ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're right, Shark. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're right. I've always kind of had a thing for Venus myself. I don't blame you. But that said... Uh, Venus stays really hot for other reasons. Anyway, the inside of the Earth has fission going on, Mm -hmm. nuclear fission, and that keeps it really hot. But eventually, you would think, hypothetically, theoretically, things would cool off, but I think the sun's going to heat up and cook us before then. Venus stays hot because of all its carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which has run away
1: with the greenhouse effect. So, Venus, please, could, could that be our future? Is... What, will you talk about the greenhouse effect? It's could it be? No, I don't think so. Venus is so hot.
2: How hot, hot is Thank it? Thank you. It's so hot that uh, the uh, ground that you would melt lead on the ground. You take your fishing weights, what they would melt. Oh my your goodness. stainless steel cutlery would just meow, just bend. Uh, Yield. Uh, So, furthermore, it's a Salvador Dali painting. It would be. Really? uh, But you'd be dead before you could appreciate it, probably. (laughs) I mean, instantly. And then, furthermore, it not only, wait, wait, there's more. It rains acid rain. Wow! The, this sounds like an acid. environmental
1: disaster. Well, this it's place. Venus is
2: like hell, and the guys who did the first in the modern era—not the people from the 1700s and the early 18 early 1900s—in mm-hmm. the modern era, the people who discovered climate change on Earth, James Hansen, okay, June of 1983, All right. testified in front of Congress. It was studying Venus, the atmosphere of Venus with telescopes that people discovered the real, the, the real effect
1: effects of, of, of too much carbon dioxide,
2: too much carbon dioxide.
1: Wow. Wow. And by too much, we're talking about just a little bit too much. Just a little Just yeah. a little bit. And that's all we need here is just a little bit that's too right. much. That's right. And it's yes.
2: game over. Yes. But I think it's going to happen even if I whisper about it. <laughs> Chuck, we have another
1: query. I just <laughs> oh the I don't know. You know why I'm laughing? Because we do have a tendency to do that. When something's bad, we, we have a tendency to it. whisper. Like that That's going to make it okay. But I remind you, the Earth can still hear you. (laughs) We're now
2: over 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere. There you go. Even if you
1: whisper about it. It's still going to happen. All right, let's let's move on to Matt Milligan. And uh, this is what Matt wants to know. Why does the light from stars go on for billions of light years, but the light from my flashlight? only go two feet oh no oh it does
2: What's go up it does that good question but first of all let's remind us the light year is a unit of distance not a unit right not a unit right, of time. Unit of, right. It's, time, it's speed of light times time and just if you want to do and that units, gets
1: you the distance if you
2: and by the way everybody if you're out there having trouble with your distance equals rate times time problems just relax just look at the units if you're going meters per second times seconds, you're going to get meters. If you're going miles per hour times hours, you're going to get miles. Cheer, it's happy. Speed of light times years, you get a long way. <laughs> a light year. Right. All right. Now your flashlight. It, I used to sit on the beach, particularly, mm-hmm. and sometimes the forest, and shoot the light straight up, the flashlight straight up. And wonder if there was somebody else out there on another planet, pick one, Rigel-12. 12, Rigel-12. 12. Uh, who's doing the same thing.
1: Here's it lovely in the spring, by the way.
2: Uh, on right, It could be That's with right. the Rigelians. And uh, <laughs> is there some, a Rigelian out there shooting her or his flashlight back at me? And yes, the photons do go on forever. It's just they get so dim, your eyes can't detect them. Now, in a room where you shine your light around, that light will get absorbed by your quilt Gotcha. In your bedroom gotcha. Even the paint of your walls uh, Is absorbed What if you set up mirrors everywhere On all the walls And you turn on the light Would it bounce around forever? No Even at 99.99999% At the speed of light Things bounce around very quickly And, and it's I'm, all absorbed and it's all absorbed Turned into heat Okay Sorry man Re-radiated so. in another form of light but in general, um, so it's still there. Over. It's
1: just kind of uh, energy it's doesn't just, go en- energy away. Energy doesn't man. go away. It's, ju- go it's away, still man. there. It's just like, hey, baby, this is what I am now. Gotcha. Uh, in those terms, I might have been. I'm very scientific. Though. That might
2: have been how the Gap Band would have expressed it, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, people from that era. From that era. Hey baby,
1: hey, baby. <laughs> I'm just something else now. I'm just. Right. I'm just an energy man. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <clears throat> Why? (laughs) You know, know, we really don't have to. (laughs) Okay. Um, Oh, wow. This is a question directly for you. Okay, let me see. Okay, I think we might have enough time. Hey, Bill. Matt here, student at Sacramento State University, California. Sac State. There you go. When we see an object of light away from us, we are seeing it in a year in the past.
2: An object, a light year from us, we're seeing it a year in the past, okay.
1: A Uh, reasonable way of reckoning. That's a reasonable way of Theoretically, if we are able to grow a tree, say five light years tall, with the aid of a telescope, will we be able to see the different ages of the tree as we look at its farthest branches? Say, for example, the tree begins to die near the ground, uh, blah, blah, blah. The
2: short answer is No. Okay. because you can only see it at the speed of light. In other words, you can't detect that it's dying out there on the end of its five-light-year-away branch right? unless you're looking at the light bouncing off the branch. So along this line, another interesting thing to interestingly think about. You say you're looking at light on distant stars. What's ever happened there has already happened. Right. Be that as it may, it hasn't happened here yet gotcha. until the light gets here. right? And this gets into this thing of information theory, like... Although the thing landed on Mars 11 minutes ago, it hasn't landed on Mars here until the light gets here. Doot, 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 doot. We will discuss this further right after this.
1: Sleep. Grocery shopping themselves. Just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add
0: Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Quay in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any. Of carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style italian then settle in for an evening of live entertainment whatever your vibe is you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell so pack those bags be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like carnival
2: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, guest hosting, if I can use that verb for Neil deGrasse Tyson. And people, check me out, because I'm with Chuck Nice.
1: Yes. And it is fabulous. (laughs) I don't think he's going to change his name. Not going to change my name. To fabulous. Not to fabulous. But he could. That's what I'm saying. No, that sounds too much like a rapper. As you know, Chuck Chuck Fabulous. fabulous. What does Chuck Nice sound like? You you know what?
2: (laughs) A wimp. That's what it sounds like, young man. (laughs) Certainly. He's nice. No one is afraid of Chuck Nice, nice, that is for sure. And they should be. This guy will cut you.
1: (laughs) It's good, though. It's good. Oh, that's great. Chuck,
2: Cosmic Queries, your queries from the electric interweb that the kids are using. Yes. Very happy that you all took the time to write to us. And your questions, this show especially, have been just outstanding. We Chuck, really have had some we, great we questions. We have another one, I take. you. know,
1: before we go into the next question, very quickly, um, I just – because we were we, – you didn't finish this because we had to come back for the break. But we were talking in the break very quickly about uh, – I said I think that we're so science-averse oh. in our country because there's certain people – who benefit from that because they have it gives them power. Some power. It gives them power. I mean, that's just my own personal opinion. And so, this is especially true of military
2: hardware. Okay. Historically, this, these scientists have been pressed into service. You know, Galileo. Uh, I guess Fraunhofer, uh, Fraunhofer was pressed into service in science uh, in the military, using science in the military, making these extraordinary lenses and stuff. With that said, science democratizes knowledge. Chuck, this may mean this more to me than it should, but it doesn't matter who shows you the earth goes around the sun. True. The man does not control what makes the earth goes around the sun. <laughs> science is true for everybody. True. Science yeah. is knowledge outside of us. What we hope to find in science are rules or laws or thing or ways of looking at things that are true everywhere in the universe. Doesn't matter where you're from, your ethnic background, how much money your ancestors made. The man does not control the facts of science. There and you that go. is an elegant, beautiful thing. So, you and I and uh, the regular host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, are working <laughs> to change the world. So, everybody listening to the broadcast right now,
1: turn it up loud as we take another cosmic query. Fantastic. That was outstanding, sir. Let's move on. Uh, Jerry Yitzie Sandberg wants to know this. Uh, if you could bore to the center of the earth and not get burned to a cinder, let's suspend some disbelief here, and hollow out a sphere in the, dr- in the geometric center of the earth, how would gravity affect you then? So, Oh, it's cool. There'd be no gravity. So, so you'd be zero G?
2: Zero G. So what we recommend to you all is- uh, Get yourself take, a drill. Well, take physics. <laughs> take physics. And uh, a classic physics problem, which is every bit as much fun as what you just described, yeah. is drilling a hole, a hypothetically imaginary hole, through the center of the earth, and then you, uh, big enough for it, pick an enchanting object, a bowling ball, okay. and drop it through the hole in the center of the earth. What happens- as the ball goes all the way through. And then comes out the then other side. And comes out the other side. What happens? Uh, Does it shoot off into space? No. It falls, it back, falls through. back through. It falls back through. With no aerodynamic drag and right. not bring burn to a cinder. Right. And this is a fabulous problem. And wait, wait, there's more. I'm a mechanical engineer. And one of my uh, really satisfying technical jobs is working on this navigation system for drill bits. This would be the technology that is the ancestor of modern fracking drills, no kidding, where you can guide the drill, mm-hmm. uh, steer it underground okay. with extraordinary precision. Like when they had this oil well leak in the Gulf of in Mexico the Gulf. and right, they had to right. come in sideways. You can guide drill bits very accurately. And the moment you start going down inside the earth, mm-hmm. there's less gravity. Wow. And these were detected by our accelerometers. This was at a company called Sunstrand Data Control, which is now part of Honeywell. And these accelerometers or Excels, because we're so cool, these Excels would detect micro G's, millions of a of a G. And so when you have a shell of material, this is a mathematical shell of material above you, it all cancels out. Wow. And so to those of you listening who have not taken physics and have not tried this Math problem, right? I encourage you to do it. It's a these are both just outstanding, cool, insightful math math problems that would come to us really from the discoveries made by Isaac Newton. What, what do,
1: what, where where were you when I was taking physics in school? I don't know, man. Man, physics it is all it is
2: all science is either physics or stamp collecting. <laughs> but that turns out that's from a different era. It Turns out now. Life science is so fantastically complicated yeah. that it kind of overwhelms physics much as I love my physics.
1: Take it. Uh, sorry,
2: right. I digress.
1: Okay, Imagine me. You know me what? Digressing. We have a minute left in this segment, so I got Derek Wilson here who has a really cool question. I think I know why he's asking this. How accurate is carbon dating really?
2: Very accurate. The least long time agoer it was, the better, more accurately it is.
1: This is to <laughs> See, say— See, that's what I was about to say. I think he's asking So this. here's how it works.
2: Right. Carbon-14 is formed in the air when you are a living thing and you stop breathing or stop transpiring if you're a plant. Mm-hmm. The carbon-14 changes to nitrogen and then uh, to back then down to carbon-12. And so the moment you die or stop breathing— this process happens carbon-14 doesn't get refreshed right? and so it's extraordinarily accurate but do not confuse carbon-14 dating with how we've determined the age of the ancient dinosaurs.
1: Exactly.
2: That's potassium argon and uranium-uranium and rubidium strontium we'll be back after this. back to star talk radio bill nye here guest hosting for neil degrasse tyson and wait wait there's more everybody i'm not here by myself no no i'm here with chuck nice that's
1: right and it's good to be it's, here it's, too. it's
2: all that
1: it is it's it is. so good to have you here chuck Ah, oh, man we're having a blast i'm what are we doing time. today we are taking what Cosmic queries. These are queries from the internet. Well, from the cosmos, Chuck. They are from the cosmos via By, the internet. Yes. They are. Precisely. Indeed. And uh, we have uh, quite a few people who've actually um, written in to uh, ask specific questions of you, Bill. Uh, I wow. know that. People got a lot of free time out there. <laughs> <laughs> I know because they're saying, hey, Bill, you know, like Will Burke, who wants to know this. Are there any locations in the solar system that you think we should focus more on sending a mission what benefit would we gain from doing so well we
2: at the planetary society the world's largest non-governmental space interest organization advancing space science and exploration for the betterment of humankind where we want everyone on earth to know the cosmos and our place within it that planetary society encourages missions to all these worlds enceladus Moon of Saturn, that seems to have an ocean, and Europa, which has got an ocean. We want to go to Titan, where there are tides of methane and ethane, these uh, natural gas kind of liquids. They're liquid because it's so crazy cold.
1: Smells like a fragrant trip.
2: Uh, And we would put sniffers on them, by the way. (laughs) Just keep in mind, if we were to discover evidence of life on one of these worlds like Europa or Enceladus or Mars— it would change this world, utterly change this world. It would change the way everybody felt about what it is to be alive in the universe, alive sure. in the cosmos. It would change us. And you know what else we'd discover? What? Nobody knows. That's why we're going to go send missions to find stuff. If we send missions out there, we will make discoveries and we will have an adventure, an adventure shared by all humankind. If you talk to kids, what are they, and you say, what's your favorite planet? They often. Not so much as they used to, thanks to Neil. They'll say, Pluto. That's so true. Pluto. (laughs) Thanks to Neil. Well, tell you what, 2015, there is a mission going by Pluto, New Horizons. It left in 2006. I was there at Cape Canaveral. It's the fastest rocket anybody's ever built, and it will get to Pluto nine years later in 2015, and we will make discoveries that will change things. Furthermore, when you invest in these missions, Chuck. yes. You solve problems that have never been solved before. So true. So so planetary science is what NASA does best right now. Yeah, And NASA is the world's largest space agency by a factor of three. So that is planetary science, the line item within NASA, which is in turn a line item within the federal budget, which is in turn a economic entity in the world. That's where we invest to innovate and keep the United States in the economic game. (gasps)
1: Next question. Awesome answer, sir. All right. <clears throat> uh, JD Prevost wants to know this. If a planet had a slower axis rotation, allowing the star in its orbiting, it, that it's orbiting, to heat the planet over a longer day, could a planet be further out of what we consider the habitable zone and still sustain life at similar temperatures as Earth? So, bigger planet, farther out, longer day. Well, so Do all those things factor into... Well, let's back up.
2: The yeah. Earth Day used to be, before we had clocks as far as... It, it used to be 18 hours in the ancient dinosaur days. So that's a fact. That's like 30%. that The Earth is going a third slower than it used to. I did not know that. And we're here. We're alive. So you got to figure if you're farther out and turning slowly, if conditions are right, you could be a living thing. you got to... Why not? Who's to stop you? Wait, wait, there's more. The planet Mercury... Spins two-thirds of a time for every orbit. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are any Mercurians because it's too close <laughs> to the sun from what we understand. Right. But there's ice in the craters of Mercury. Is there some place on some other world that's turning slowly, that has some slush, and there's living things in it? I, I don't know. Right. One way to, find, to make sure we never find out is to stay
1: here. Not go looking. And not go looking. Exactly. Wow. That is very cool. That is, hey, hey, JD, number one, great question. And number two, who knew that the Earth Day used to be 18 hours? Well, that's
2: when you talk to the ancient dinosaurs, take a meeting with them. <laughs> well, really, they're the fossil ferns that are extant that are along with their fossils. Okay. You can infer a lot about... Uh, ancient environment and then you look at silts and uh, ice right and things and you can infer a lot about the how the earth is slowing down now mm-hmm. caused by tidal friction with the moon and you can work backwards to how fast it must have been spinning in ancient times meanwhile we've got to spin on out to a break Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, your host, sitting in for Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I am here with none other than Chuck Nice. And tell you what, Chuck. Yes, yes, Bill. It's time for the lightning round.
1: Yes, it is. Now uh,
2: this is pure lightning round. That's all it is. No bells and whistles. Wait, wait. There, there's
1: bells. There are bells. <laughs> there will be bells. So take it with a cosmic query in the lightning round, Chuck. And here we go. Let's uh, jump right into this with Steve Hosied, who wants to know this. I'm from Heartland, Wisconsin. My question is, when the New Horizons spacecraft reaches Pluto next year, what is the mission exactly? Take pictures. Take pictures. Take pictures. Okay. Record some thermal data,
2: the, the radiation, some the science instruments aboard, but pictures. Pictures
1: that could, dare I say it, uh, change can, the world. Change the world. Steve, I think the answer might be pictures. All right. Uh, Uh, Jonathan Suto wants to know this. Bill, why do we give NASA so little money? How did that happen? If I were king of the forest, we'd give NASA more
2: money. We at the Planetary Society... Uh, uh, Getting everyone in the cosmos to know our place within it And advancing space science and exploration Lobby continually to get more money for NASA The world's largest space administration So that we will make discoveries That will not only change the world But keep the United States in the economic game And lead
1: the way Not that the United States has to do everything Mm -hmm. But space exploration is what the United States is good at Alright, next question from, I'm just going to say Ms. McNaughton because I can't pronounce her first name and I'm sorry, Ms. McNaughton Here we go. Hi, from Binghamton New York here, and my question is, what is your opinion of Stephen Hawking's time travel fourth dimension theory? Do you believe it is accurate? Don't know
2: <laughs> Fantastic It's cool to think about though, isn't it? It's it, riveting. It, and the fourth dimension is time, everybody. It's okay. not an extraordinary thing. It's, it's just XYZ and time And time
1: Alright, here we go with Jared Reese. And Jared is from uh, Minnesota. Wants to know this. Is it possible and or probable to use gravitational lensing with a Hubble-like telescope on the outer edge of our solar system? What tangible benefits could there be to do this? I've heard that lensing could be enhanced with radio pictures. Uh,
2: radio pictures, maybe. The Wherever there's pictures. a lot of gravity, out, out, out there in deep space, like when you have a black hole, you can observe light, and in this case, radio waves being bent by the gravity. And that can give you tremendous insight into the whereabouts of black holes and their nature. The more spacecraft we have out there, the better as far as I'm concerned. Let's fly them!
1: Fly them all! There you have it. All right, Philip Brinkman would like to know this. How do the advancements in technology affect our own evolution? Are we still subject to natural selection or do humans evolve only artificially now? P.S., Excellent job on the debate. Oh, thank you. Thank you
2: uh, for, the, for the postscript. Yes, humans are still evolving. The thing is, let's take me, for example. Please. <laughs> no, I had appendicitis. I'd be dead otherwise. If I run around having kids, that means those kids might have been not, not come into existence. But wait... That's part of being in a tribe. As your tribe advances culturally, uh, you have the potential for your individuals to advance culturally, and that's evolution. Could it be that if we go back in time and talk to the ancient Egyptians who built the pyramids, and they don't get any of our jokes? Wouldn't that be weird? Because we've changed just in those 5,000 years. Whoa! Whoa!
1: Nicely done. Uh, here's what Susan Minob wants to Wait, know. Wait, we don't get any of your jokes either, Bill. <laughs> Take it, <a> Chuck. <laughs> Susan Minob wants to know this. What happens to a black hole after it runs out of stuff to eat? Uh,
2: that's, that's very unlikely. So, guess it remains a very massive star sending uh, material to other parts of the universe. That's a good question. Good question. When the source of energy... Uh, material stops coming in, people have speculated about what happens, it, g- it shrinks. And what I'd like to do is hold that thought, Chuck, till you have Neil deGrasse
1: Tyson here who's so into his astrophysics. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Uh, James. Les wants to know this. Is it, popular, is it possible to have binary planet systems, much like a binary star system, or with the gravitational pull of the star they orbit as with the pull of each other make it unfeasible? No, no,
2: it's probably quite feasible. In fact, that's a fun physics problem. The, the old thing that we're crazy for, what's that? The three-body problem. Okay. So the Earth and the moon, the moon is like a... traditional planet, in a sense. It's a gravitational body orbiting the Earth, and the Earth and the Moon are are in turn orbiting the Sun. And it's nothing but fun to consider the Earth and the Moon as a system with a center of mass, a center of gravity somewhere between us, and that center of gravity is in turn orbiting the Sun. So we do it all day. And when you get uh, Jupiter with its four massive Galilean moons, I mean, that's like a whole binary, quaternary, Quad of uh, the uh, quintinary. The quintinary system. So yes,
1: it's possible. Party on. Nice. All right, here we go. What engineering hurdles from Chris Knoll, what engineering hurdles prevent us from traveling faster than the speed of light? Well, it's not
2: engineering hurdle so much as far as we know the speed of energy is the speed of light as far as we can tell. You just can't go just any can't faster. Go faster. You start pumping in more energy and instead of going faster you become effectively more massive. That is to say you increase your momentum without increasing your speed very much. It's a complicated problem discovered in my father's lifetime. Not Fantastic. that long ago. Awesome. Hey, we're almost done. We are. Thank you for listening to Star Talk. We got to fly, Chuck. Oh, Bill and I, the science sky with Chuck Nice.